Well, I sure am glad to see you this morning. Uh, Pastor Jay is not here today because he's in the woods. He really is. He's having church in the woods today. He and the, um, he and the Edge Youth Discipleship Group are out. It's the teenagers group. They are with Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Amber out in somewhere near Cheha Mountain having church this morning. And uh, so this is an annual event for them. It's always it's spiritual as well as a good thing to do. And what beautiful weather for this to happen. Amen. It's really funny this morning I heard somebody say, man, I don't know if I can go to church this morning. It's so cold. I thought, what? <laughs> what? I guess we're just used to 95 degree temperature. It's just so cold. Well, I, I, I think it's awesome out there right now. Amen. I, why don't we just go out there and have church? Is that right? Uh, today, we're going to start with Scripture. I want to read the Scripture to you. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Have you ever felt like that? I have. We, this is a series, this is the second part of a series called Never Alone. There are times that it just feels like, God, where are you? How in the world can you be in what I'm going through right now. Have you ever seen when circumstances just seem to go out of control and you think, God, where are you? Today our idea is never alone in our circumstances. I felt like that before. Sometimes things that we have planned just don't work out as we planned them. And looking back, we can say, wow, God, I, I know you're in that. But we're in the, when it starts, we don't see God in it. Several years ago, um, I went to Omaha, Nebraska with our Master's Commission group. In the summertime, we went to, to a fundraiser, the College World Series. And uh, it's a lot of hard work, but it's good fundraising for groups. So um, I went up there, had the group going, even took some of our new incoming students that I didn't even know yet, didn't, didn't know. And I met with them all and said, look, guys, this is going to be some work. We just need to get focused, stay focused on the work, don't get sidetracked. And sure enough, the very, uh, I think the second day we were there, one of our lovely new students decided he wanted to show everybody how to do a backflip off of a teeter-totter in a park. And so he backflipped off the teeter-totter, did a great backflip, but he just landed on his face. And uh, so we spent the next day and a half in the emergency room in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, and he had surgery on his mouth while his mother watched from a phone that we had set up. And, um, you know, it's one of those things you're going, God, why in the world? This is the worst thing that could happen. Why? You know, we, we, we got a job to do. Now we're going to have to, I couldn't even be there and help them do, I couldn't oversee what I was supposed to do. I went through all of this kind of thing, but I sure am glad I got to know Jared Tidwell. <laughs> Jared's about the coolest guy that ever came through Masters, and he's, he's, he's in the woods with Pastor Jay and the rest of them as a leader. Jared Tidwell, incredible young man incredible guy. I sure am glad God let us go through that circumstance because we sit and laugh about it now because God was with us in the whole thing. You ever felt like things just didn't go as you expected? In 1977, that was a good while ago, 1977, 
January of 1977, um, I was with a group in Rome, Italy, having been to a, having been on a uh, archaeology trip to Israel for about a month, and then we came and spent a few days in Rome, Italy. Sort of, and, and while we were in Israel, it was so awesome. I got to walk where Jesus walked. I got to see archaeological remains of things. I got to sit and take communion on the on, above the Sea of Galilee. You know, it was just really spiritually exhilarating. And then we got to Rome. We had a couple of days off. The professor in charge of us said, "Whatever you do, don't go anywhere alone. This is a big city." But I'm a big boy with big pants on, and I, nobody wanted to go where I wanted to go, so I thought I could handle this alone. So I went off into the city of Rome and was looking for a little bookstore that I could buy a map so I wouldn't get lost, because I was so awesome and accurate about everything, never wanting to bring any worry to anyone. And so I found a little bookstore on the Via Veneto, which is a, is a major thoroughfare in Rome. It's where the American embassy is. In fact, on one side of the boulevard was a little bookstore. It was just a little shotgun bookstore. And across the boulevard was the American embassy with a Marine standing out front. It was really cool. It's really cool. And so I went in the little bookstore, you know, walk in, the little bell rings. They had a little bell on the door. Ding, 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 ding. Go in. It was just a shotgun place, little bookstore. I, I saw a guy at the end. He, he looked like Clark Gable. You know, slick, black, slick back hair, little mustache. Um, I didn't know Italian. I just waved at him and pointed at the maps, and I walked over there and tried to find an English map. So I'm over there looking, and a few minutes, I hear the little bell on the door again, and, and you hear Italian talking, you know, ba ba da dee da 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 pizza, lasagna, you know, whatever. <laughs> all, all, any kind of Italian going on, I didn't know what it was. And then it got quiet. You know how when, you, when things get quiet, you think, what's going on? So I just glanced over my shoulder, and this is what I saw. The shopkeeper looked like this. And the other guy looked like this. And my heart stopped. I was absolutely frozen in terror. And I... I'm thinking, right across the street is the American Embassy, and they're not doing me a bit of good. <laughs> the Marine is just standing there. And I'm, I, I just, you know how all the blood from my head just drained down to my foot. And it, I just froze. And then the shopkeeper points at me like, don't rob me, rob him. So he moves the shopkeeper over to stand by me, and there we both are with our hands up. My heart is pounding, and I'm, 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 I'm frozen with fear, obviously. And uh, the, sh the uh, Italian guy said something to me in Italian, and I don't know it, so I responded in the best Spanish I knew. <laughs> it was European, so I thought it might work. I said, Inglés. And he said, money, which I thought is what he meant. Now, unfortunately, I had every dollar, every bit of money I owned in the world on my body at that moment. Every, including my passport and my ticket home. Fortunately, I'd put it in this little pouch, this little, little pouch, and it was down under my underwear. And so I thought... 
He doesn't look like perv, so I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> so I, I said, here's all the money I got, and I, I pulled out some Italian lira coins, not much money at all, and, and showed it to him. He just goes, ah. And then he comes over to me, and he puts the gun, the pistol, in my belly button. And then he raises it up, turns my head sideways, and plays with my earlobe with the barrel. I'm telling you, folks, that was the, that was the longest few seconds of my life. And honestly, I, I, I would tell you that I was thinking, it's praying tongues or something. I wasn't. I was thinking nothing. I was frozen. Actually, I was thinking, he's going to kill me, throw my body in the river, and my parents will never find me. That's what I thought. I remember thinking that. And um, wow, well, it was a moment. I still think about it now. It sort of gives me that eerie feeling. I know it didn't last but a few seconds at that point, but he eventually took the gun down, and he pulled his coat back. It was winter, so he pulled his coat back, and he put his gun in a holster, and I saw the holster. It had the, like, leather engraving thing, and it said, Roma Polizza. And I thought, he has killed a policeman, and he's going to kill me now. And uh, then I noticed the shopkeeper had moved back and was just talking, and, and talk, they were talking in Italian. And I just... I had no idea what was going on. Then the guy turned around and looked at me and said the word American and said, joke. <laughs> I'm telling you, that really happened. That really happened. This is not a joke on you. It was a joke on me. And all the blood that had gone to my foot then just raced to my brain. And I, my face turned red and I screamed in some kind of a, probably, probably he's like this. I said, some joke. And I threw the map down that I had in my hand the whole time. And I walked, I walked right out the door, stormed out the door, turned left to go up that sidewalk, right by the little sidewalk cafe, just burst into tears. <laughs> I'm sure they thought I was a madman walking up the street. I got, went to where I could cross the boulevard, cross the boulevard, went to the American embassy, rang the little bell. Somebody came and moved the little door thing said what and I said uh, I just got held up by policemen at gunpoint in that little bookstore over there he said are you all right I said yeah he goes welcome to Rome <laughs> close the door <laughs> let me tell you that's that's one of those days where you're going God where were you during that during it, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even think about God. I didn't. I wish I could tell you I did. I didn't. I was frozen. Where was God? Surely God wasn't in that. Well, he was. When you read the story of Joseph, you understand. When I read Joseph's story, I go, surely God couldn't have been there at the beginning. You know what happened to Joseph? First of all, his brothers, his brothers, his older brothers beat him up and threw him in a pit. My brother did that once, but uh, they beat him up and left him there. Brothers faked his death and sold him into slavery. When he got there, he it was working with this guy, and then he got accused of sexual harassment after a setup by a jealous lady, and so they threw him into prison for years. He finally worked his way up 
and got, um, you know, got promoted in, in prison and sort of got favorable treatment and he got a promise that this guy was going to get him out and then the guy that got out forgot him for another two years. And then finally he got out. Finally he got out, got Pharaoh's attention. It sort of ends up really good. He rescued his family from starvation. He became prime minister of Egypt and he forgave his brothers and lived happily ever after. But brother, when he was in jail, do you think he felt God's presence? I want to show you what the scripture says though. Look at what the scripture says. Genesis 39, 21. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. In prison, the Lord was with him. I bet he didn't feel it sometimes, but he was with him. See, God is with you even when you're struggling. Even when you're struggling, I'm telling you, God is with you. God, I want you to help me trust you when I'm struggling, and I don't understand the whys. Then there was this guy named David. Now, we all know David's the harpist that's the man after God's own heart. Well, he, he caused a lot of his own problems. We read about those too, but some of the times he didn't. He served King Saul faithfully, and then Saul tried to kill him. So David goes around for 10 years. He hides in caves. He's, trying, he's being chased around the country by Saul. Saul trying to kill him. It was, it was one of those days I could look at that and say, God, where are you during those days? If you read some of the Psalms, he says things like, Oh, Lord, why have you hid your face from me? You've read those Psalms. God, where are you? <laughs> I'm cast down. I, you know, you're against me. He's also the guy that wrote Psalm 24, 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What's this? For thou art with me. Isn't that amazing? Those who walk through the valley of the shadow of death know a good shepherd is with them. And David knew that. You know what David also knew? David also knew there's a difference between the valley of the shadow of death and the valley of death. It was a shadow. Shadows can be just as real as the real thing. They can feel the same way, but they're not. And David obviously knew the difference in a shadow and reality. And I think that's part of, the, part of our problem. We don't feel God's presence because we think the shadow has stolen it from us, but they can't. The shadow cannot steal it. It's not even real. Part of being a follower of Jesus it's not just feeling God's presence. It's knowing his presence. And knowing it's there even when you don't feel it. It's true. One is a feeling, the other is truth. God, I want you to help me discern between shadows and reality so that I don't get scared away by the shadow and miss you. Then there's this guy named Paul. I like that guy. Paul went through all kind of suffering while he preached the gospel. I mean, you, you see the story. He went all over the world, all over the known world, preaching the gospel. And uh, he, he, he went around preaching, teaching, healing people, people raised from the dead. Miracles happened at his hands. And then there was this time, the Bible says, that Paul had what was called a thorn in the flesh. And he asked God to remove it, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you, buddy. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
And we, we have to ask ourselves, what was the thorn in the flesh? And everybody has their ideas, and nobody knows what it was. It could have been a physical illness. It could have been a recurring illness that kept coming back. It could have been constant persecution. It could have been periods of doubts and confusion. I don't know what it was. I don't know. But I know this. He said that God was with him in the middle of it all. If, if it was recurring sickness, he trusted God every time he felt that sickness. If it was, he didn't have enough to eat. He didn't have provision. He trusted God every time that happened. Look at what 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know what I think is really neat? God didn't just say to his people, what I'm going to do is I wanna, when I save you, I'm just going to let you win the lottery and you'll never have to need, have a need again. You'll never, and I'm going to heal you one time. You'll never have to suffer. You'll, nothing will ever happen to you again. You know what God did? God gives us our daily bread so that when we need him, when we need him and trust him, God provides for us every day. He heals us every time. He gives us everything we need every day. The more I need him, the more I know his presence. God, I just want to be aware that you're with me in the meantime. So what I want to do today, I want to give three easy things. Three, these are easy to understand they may be harder to do, but three easy to understand things that I think will help you in the middle of your circumstance, whatever circumstance you're in. And here's the first one. Choose to believe that God is with you even when the circumstances tell you otherwise. Choose to believe that God is with you even when the circumstances tell you something else. Don't judge the presence of God by your circumstances. <laughs> well, God, I don't feel you, so you must not be here. Are you kidding? It's not like that. Life is not about living in perfect circumstances. Life's about living in the perfect love of God. The presence of a problem doesn't mean the absence of God. You've got to understand that. The presence of a challenge, a problem, does not mean the absence of God. It's an invitation for you to become aware of God's presence and let him have it. Let him have the, the, the problem you've got. A lot of times we, we see, seek God passionately when things are good, but then eventually we just take it for granted. And sometimes God allows us to need him so that we'll seek him again from, a, from all of our heart. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.16, let us approach the throne, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God lets us have need so he has a we have a time to reach out to his grace and mercy so we'll get to know him. So we'll know him. I'm not saying God brings bad things in your life. He doesn't. He's the one that brings the grace and mercy. Maybe we need to focus less on our circumstances and more on his presence with us. Here's the second thing. Remind yourself of God's love. Just this past Friday in our weekly uh, Coram Deo, we call it, it's our chapel sessions and master's commission, uh, I spoke about this. Um, if there's one thing 
that has to be ingrained in our brain, in our mind, in our spirit, that we cannot allow the enemy to challenge. It's this, that God loves me unconditionally. That is a constant. It is a constant all through the Word of God. It is a constant. We cannot allow the enemy to challenge that because when the enemy challenges that, he's got you to where you'll believe anything. God loves me unconditionally. I, I told them Friday that we have two major crises in, in our world right now, especially in America. And one is a crisis of love. People don't sense love. They don't feel it. They don't know it. Some of them haven't experienced it. Not true love. And the second is a crisis of value. People don't feel valuable. They don't. Young people today, many of them don't feel any value whatsoever. Why, why would they feel value? They go to educational places that tell them that you're just an evolutionary accident of history. You just happen to be a mutation of a certain gene that eventually turned into a human being after crawling out of a primeval swamp. And that that's all it is. And that, that who knows, you may not last very long. In fact, just give us a decade or so and climate change will kill us all. Even though God's word says that's not how it ends, friends. Quit freaking out about things like that when God's word tells us until Jesus comes. Hot, cold, summer, winter. It's what the Bible says. No wonder people have a, don't feel valuable. On top of all of that, they're taught or they have to experience families that disintegrate, fatherless kids. They begin to buy into this lie that they're just nothing more than an accident of biology. No wonder there's a crisis of love and value in our society. That's why it's so important that we know that God loves us. Recently, I heard Todd White explain it better than anybody I've ever heard. Todd White's this incredible guy. He's got long dreadlocks like I probably could never grow because I couldn't grow long hair. My hair just gets big. When I was in high school, I had a big old brown helmet. Um, Todd, Todd said, the value of something is based on what it's worth. For instance, if I, uh, if I went over to Sean McAbee and said, Sean, I want, I want you to go sell my 2002 Toyota Camry that has 50 billion miles on it. And I want you, if you will, to please sell that thing for $40,000. And I'm sure he's had people ask things just as crazy. And uh, he would say to me, Mark, that is not going to sell for $40,000 because it's not worth $40,000. It's only value is what people will pay for it, right? That's, the, that's how value is determined, what somebody will pay for. If I put my house up for sale, it's only going to sell for what the value would be. Somebody, it's valued at what somebody would pay for it. Well, I want to ask you a question. How much do you think you're worth to God? How much did he pay for you? You thought about it? According to the Bible, you cost the ultimate price, the death of Jesus on the cross. I can't think of a higher price that could be paid for you. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know what your value is? 
your value must be mighty great because he died for you. That's a big deal, folks. That's a big deal. That's how much God loves us. There's no greater love than that. God paid for you with Jesus' death on the cross. You are valuable. You're valuable. It's the message this world needs more than any. Would you agree with that? This, the world needs the message. That is the good news. God values you. He loves you. And you're worth it. He died for you. That is the message of the good news. That's what good news is. Not you can be better than you are. God loves you just like you are. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because of our performance. It was because of his performance. Well, I don't know that I'm worth that much. Well, does it matter? Jesus paid it for you. So he must think you're worth something. He must think you're worth everything. As Christians, when we go through these dark, uncharted circumstances that don't make sense, we can't judge it by whether or not we feel God's love. We've got to judge it by what God has already said. I love you and I value you. Sometimes we have to tell our feelings to shut up. Just shut up, feelings. Shut up. I know I don't feel like God loves me, but I know that's a lie. Shut up. Pinch yourself. Remind yourself, I am loved and I'm valued by God so much that he paid the ultimate price for me. That's the truth that'll change the way you think. If you let it soak deep inside your life, it'll change the way you think about everything. Satan has no weapon for that truth either. <laughs> the fact that God loves us, what weapon can he use against you when God loves you and values you above all things? What weapon can he use? You know what the only one he uses? A lie. He says, no, he doesn't. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. And if you bite for that, then you, he's got you. So every time you feel unloved, just say, I'm loved by God. Nothing can separate from me from God's love. If you want to quote this scripture, try this one. Romans 8, 38. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, nor powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can tell the devil that all day long, and he cannot stand it. Here's the third thing, and this is the end. Make the presence of God the centerpiece of your life. Make the presence of God the centerpiece of your life. I love it in the Old Testament when I read that when the children of Israel came out of came out of Egypt and they went going through the wilderness, bad circumstances in the wilderness. They made a camp and at the center of the camp, they had the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. They had the tabernacle where the presence of God dwelt. Every tent was facing, the opening of every tent was facing the presence of God. They made it the center of their nation. In Jerusalem, the center of the city, the temple of God. They made it central to everything about them. We need to learn how to camp around the presence of God. That's what we need to do. Build our lives around the presence of God. His people become our family. You know what? He told the Israelites in the Old Testament, he goes, I, I want you to appear different from all the other people of the world. And it won't be because of your 
military power or your riches or your fame or your fortune or your accomplishments, it's going to be because of my presence. You're going to be different because I'm with you. That's going to make you different. God wants us, his presence, to be with us all the time, that he will never, ever leave us. Good grief, that's incredible. Look at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, look at this, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That is amazing to me. There's a fantastic story in Acts chapters 27 and 28 about one of the circumstances that Paul found himself in that I think is one of the, one of the best ones to illustrate this whole thing. Paul was a prisoner and he was being moved from Jerusalem where he had been arrested. He's going to be moved all the way from Jerusalem and Palestine to Rome, Italy to be it like, uh, like Rome. I know what that looks like. When uh, he's going to appeal before Caesar in court. Now, obviously, that trip from Israel to Italy was not an overnight affair. It was a large, arduous trip. And it involved going from ship to ship and transferring to this one and this one. It's sort of like taking buses different places until you finally get there. So it took a while to get there. Paul had never been to Rome, but God had spoken to him and said, you're going to go to Rome. And he, he even said that in the scripture. God has shown me that I'm going to go to Rome. Rome was the center of the world. And he knew that he, eventually he was going to end up there. He just didn't know he was going to end up there as a prisoner. And by the way, it's eventually where he gave his life to the gospel. Well, Paul said, well, if that's what the circumstances say, I'm going to Rome, then I'm going to Rome. I'm fulfilling God's will. I'm a prisoner. I would be in there going, God, it's not your will that I'm a prisoner. Well, it obviously was. It got him to Rome free. He didn't even have to pay for it. Well, according to the Bible, it was late autumn, and he boarded the last ship that was going to take him the rest of the way across the Mediterranean Sea to the port in Italy. And Paul had, tra had traveled a lot, and Paul said, this late fall is not when you need to be getting on a boat. There are a lot of storms out there. Let's don't do this now. He appealed to them, please, let's wait till the stormy season's over. But they said, nope, looks like good weather to me, so we're going to get on, the board, on, on board. So they put him in chains, put him in the boat, and they sailed out. Two days into the sail, two days into the ocean, a huge hurricane hit them. It was even named. It was called Eurocladon. How about that? We name ours things like Mabel and Homer, and they've got Eurocladon. But anyway, they named a hurricane, and it hit them. It tossed them back and forth. It was a terrible, terrible storm. Uh, the Bible says they were in the storm for days. It's like the storm went along, and they went with it. The, the mast of the ship broke. Uh, parts of the ship began to come apart. They, they tried every way to hold the ship together. Then they started throwing things overboard to try to lighten the load so the ship wouldn't sink. And finally, the storm just got worse. And the Bible says all hope that they would be saved was lost. Meanwhile, Paul was down below deck in chains in the presence of the Lord. And he said that God spoke to him. And so Paul sent a message up to all the people trying to save the ship. He said, I got a message for everybody. So they sent the message up, and the message was this. I told y'all not to leave in autumn. 
That's what it said. But God says nobody will die and we will all make it to land safely. And their response was, you idiot. They cursed him, they mocked him, and they told him, you're going to go down to the bottom of the sea like the rest of us. Paul kept saying, I believe God. The Bible says it ran aground, the ship ran aground and began to bust apart in pieces. People started jumping off the ship trying to save their lives, and they were holding on to pieces of wood, holding on to pieces of Roman styrofoam, I don't know, just trying to find a way to float. And, and Paul was in the middle of them. He, he had chains on. They throw him in. So they're all jumped they're all in. And they're, it looks like they're all going down. People are screaming and saying, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And Paul's going, I believe God. I believe God. I believe God. And the water's up to here. And he's going, I believe God. And the water's up to here. And he's going, blah, 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 blah. But he kept believing God. I want to read to you how it all ended up. But the ship struck a sandbar, ran aground, the bow stuck fast, wouldn't move, the stern was broken to pieces, pounding by the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent them from swimming away and escaping. But a centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and get to land. The rest were on planks and other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. Just as Paul said, just as God had said. God said, Paul, you're going to Rome. You ain't drowning. And Paul believed God. I'll be honest with you guys. Paul made the presence of God his centerpiece. He made it the centerpiece of his life. So whatever anybody said or whoever was against him, they had to go through what God said first. And that's how we have to live our lives. If you want your circumstances to control you, you're going to be in a mess. The enemy is going to make sure every circumstance in the universe comes against you. But if you reach out and hold on to what God says, he loves you. He values you. He has a plan for you. Then you don't have to be afraid. That becomes your anchor. God had a plan and Paul trusted God's word above anything else. Above the noise of the storm. We have fear that turns into panic. Too many times that's what we do. We panic. We fear. Fear tells us what's coming. But it's amazing. When fear comes, it never tells you Jesus is in what's coming. He always leaves Jesus out of it. I'm telling you, learn to put Jesus in what you think about your future. If you've got a fear in the future, stick Jesus right in the middle of that fear and see what happens to your fear. Jesus is there. I'm sure Paul, while he was on that boat down below, was going, I remember Matthew told us. I remember John and Peter told us about this time. They were on a boat and they thought they were going to sink. But they didn't sink because Jesus was on the boat. And Jesus got up and said, peace be still. I'm sure he thought about that down in the, in the hole of that boat. And he said, besides, God told me I'm going to Rome, so I'm not drowning. And exactly what God said happened. God is in, in, in all of it. Past, present, and future. He's there. Whatever is coming in your life, whatever your circumstance tells you, God is with you. I have to say to myself, God loves me and I am not alone. 
Whatever your circumstance is, God's with you. This week, I went up to see Miss Goldie McDaniel up at the hospital. Goldie has been in the hospital for over a month now. She, she just a few weeks ago was not expected to live. Goldie um, had heart attacks. Goldie had, um, uh, she had been brought back with the paddles, you know, the electric paddles five times. They told, uh, Larry and I have been up there daily almost, and they told us there was a time they just said, when they take this thing out of her heart, her heart's probably going to quit beating. There wasn't a lot of hope for her. They had the family in and everything. Everybody was prepared for the worst. But one night, God had some people in there praying for her. And I know that uh, Evelyn and Jimmy were there, and Evelyn and Jimmy prayed over her. And they prayed that God would give the breath of life to her because she was having a hard time breathing, obviously. And during the middle of the night, Anthony told us, during the middle of the night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, on the night that she was probably not going to survive till the next morning, Anthony said he was awakened with this voice, with this, this noise. He heard <sighs> in the room, scared him to death. He said he thought his mother had breathed her last, but it was still beep, beep, beep. And he looked and she was still breathing. He said, I didn't know what it was. But the next morning, the doctors were amazed. And since that day, she has gotten better and better and better and better and better. And she's sitting up on the side of her bed and talking and eating. Telling me she's going to come back and cook for Master's Commission. Let me tell you what. Uh, Morgan Dudley, who's, who's one of the nurses up there. Morgan was a Master's graduate with us years ago. Morgan came in and says, Miss Goldie, it is all over this hospital that you're the miracle lady. Everybody's talking about it. The doctors didn't give you any chance at all. But let me tell you what, circumstances look pretty bad, then the breath of God came. I just want everybody in this room to know, whatever circumstance you have today, God is your answer. Whatever brought you in the door this morning that's weighing you down, God is here. Whatever pitch you're in that's become your new home, God is with you. Whatever looks hopeless in front of you, it's not hopeless. Just ask Goldie. Whatever circumstances have become bigger than your faith and trust in God, God can turn that around too. Whatever those things are, they got to bow today before the God who loves you and values you beyond words. But God is looking for a cooperative effort here. He's looking for you to choose to serve him, to choose to believe and trust him and put your life in his hands. He wants you to bring him into the circumstance that you're freaked out about. He wants you to bring him in, you to invite him into that circumstance. Not as an escape mechanism, but as your anchor, as the center. You have to choose it. And I ask you this morning to choose it this morning. I'm going to ask everyone if you'll stand. And I want our prayer team, if you'll go on and quickly make your way up to the prayer team and stand here for a moment. I think there are people in this room today that desperately need somebody to stand with them. 
I think there are people today that are overwhelmed by their circumstances. And today, some of these people standing up here want to pray for you. You may have physical illness. You may be facing bad news from, from family or work or personal or anxiety or whatever it is. You are freaked out about your future, your circumstances. And I want you to know the prayer team's waiting on you. And you need a prayer cover. And they're here for you. And you need to take advantage of some people agreeing with you in prayer. Just let them usher you into the presence of God that is going to give you the assurance that he's got everything under control. Don't walk out of this room with that on your heart and not give God a chance to give you peace in the middle of your storm. Take advantage of it. You're not alone. It's his promise to you. Father, I pray today that everyone in this audience who's feeling that weight right now, the circumstantial weight, they don't understand, they don't know. I ask you right now, show them your hope, and I pray they'll walk down this aisle and they will meet someone to agree with them about Jesus, the hope of the world. God is saying, I am that one. He says it over and over. I am the one. That is who I am. That is who I am. That is who I am. God has spoken to your heart. Now come, let God be that person for you right now. Choose to come as they sing right now. Step out. Step out and come.